everyone, welcome to season two of the Pivot Podcast, the podcast where women who have made intentional or unexpected changes in their lives, and guess what? They're still winning. I am your host, Malika Turner, and I'm so excited to bring you season two, and we are starting out with a bang. So this episode, we have some special guests, and our episode title is do something part two. So as you know, in season one, I talked a little bit about doing something uh, relative to what's happening in the world today with racial injustice and what is happening to our black men in America today, police brutality, the the gamut. Okay. We're going to talk about that today, but specifically what I wanted to do was bring together mothers, mothers of black males and have this conversation with them to see what they're doing so they can share their strategies. Um, just even share some things that they just kind of been blowing their mind about what's happening today and just ways in which we can learn from them and then implement those strategies for our, for our own children. Right? So I am delighted. I have four wonderful guests. I know them all personally. They're about to bring it. Okay. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So I'm going to start with Rochelle, Rochelle Byer Sargent. Let's talk. Hey there, Malika. Thank you for having me today. So I'm Rochelle Byer Sargent. I have three children and I have one son and he is 17 years old. Um, I work outside of the home. And so uh, my son is the oldest of um, all my children. And so that's a little bit about me. Thank you. We have Dr. Sharita Weatherspoon, who you've heard here before. Introduce yourself again, Dr. Sharita. Hi, thank you, Malika. Um, Dr. Sharita Weatherspoon. I have four children. Uh, My oldest is a girl um, who's 22, and I have three boys who are 21, 16, and 13. Um, And professionally, I am a coach and done for you publisher and the owner of Spoon Fit Motivation LLC. Very nice. We also have Dr. Sarah Jones, who is, this is a first timer. So Dr. Sarah Jones, share a little bit about you. Hey, Dr. Malika, thank you for having me. This is such a pleasure. I am Dr. Sarah Jones. I am a mom, blessed to be a mom of three amazing men sons, not boys anymore. They're ages 22, 26, and 28. I am an, an educator in uh, at Messiah University. I teach um, nursing courses to students, and I am the wife of a wonderful husband, Anthony. Wow, thank you. And last but certainly not least, I have a little piece of my heart here. We have Ms. Alexis Dobbins. Please tell us a little bit about you and and talk about your experience or your sons. Let's go there first. Thank you, Dr. Turner. It is indeed, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I am a, my name is Alexis Dobbins. I'm a third career teacher. I waited till I was well seasoned before I moved into the K-12 arena. Um, I also have a coaching and consulting business, Kids Need To, where I work with parents um, around co-parenting. And I have two sons and they are 30 and 39. Wow. Okay. So this is great. And I, and I guess I should tell a little bit, I mean, you all know me, my audience. Um, so, but I, I, I don't think I talk about my sons as much. I probably have mentioned them, but I have two sons, um, 18 and 14. I had to think about that for a second, <laughs> 18 and 14. Wow. So the, the goal here is to really share nuggets of, of wisdom, strategies, insight, anything that we can motivate you in this area of pivoting. I believe that uh, with everything that we have been experiencing in uh, America today, right, and it it has traveled across the globe, right, Uh, police brutality and and just the, the news itself, everything we've seen thus far has really caused us to pivot, 
right? And if you know basketball, you know that a pivot is really not a big thing. So for some people, it's just a, it's just a small move, right? That makes a big difference. But we have definitely had to pivot in our thinking. We've had to pivot in our action, in our words. And so today we want to talk about the fact that we need to do something. And I want to know what what are moms doing? What kind of conversations you're having with your sons? Um, and, and I want to share also that this has not been an easy time uh, in our household. Um, every time they watch the news, my sons, or every time we bring a story to their, uh, to their mind or, or something, they are sometimes they're dumbfounded because of where they grew up. So this, some of this is all new to them, <laughs> um, but they're, it's clicking and they're getting it and they're starting to understand their place. Um, but yet we're empowering them at the same time. So let's, let's talk about this. Um, I don't know if I should start with George Floyd, but I'll, I'll start there and you all can take it wherever you'd like, but George Floyd, um, we've experienced the, killing of, of black men before George Floyd. But talk to me about what was different. What was different besides the obvious, but but, but what, what was different about George Floyd and its impact in your household with your sons? And anyone can, can chime in. You know, I think that um, what was different for me uh, in my in my house is that because everyone is pretty much homebound right now, it wasn't easy for us to move on to the next thing, right? Mm. And I think that, as you had said, that we've seen a lot of this behavior mm -hmm. um, from um, police authorities for years. This is not new to us. I think that we were able to really absorb it mm -hmm. and um, respond to it because we had nowhere to go. You don't have to go right. to, you know, do a commute the next day or do this the next day. It's right there. And so I think that that is what stood out to me the most that we really had to sit with this. We couldn't just move on mm. to the next thing. Mm. I think about, I was thinking about George Floyd and thinking about Rodney King and the difference, because this is not the first time that we've seen police brutality filmed. But it, with, with Rodney King in L.A., you just saw him being beaten. You didn't know the, the anything else. You didn't know the story before it. And so maybe you wonder, like, what was going on? Did he just kill a police officer or did he kidnap somebody or rape somebody? And they just was he resisting arrest and all these things we didn't know at the time that we watched Rodney King's beating. Although we thought it was senseless, we didn't know the background. And so that left, I don't know, room. Clearly, someone found room for doubts because, you know, the, the case went to trial and the um, officers were acquitted. George Floyd was a different story. You saw everything, the however many minutes that was, not just mm -hmm. with the, him on the neck for the nine minutes, nine plus minutes, but you saw before and him, you know, not wanting to get out of the car and so forth. And so it left little room for doubt mm -hmm. that this was clearly inappropriate behavior and when you have these facts in front of you, part of, for our house, it was, wow, it's so clear. The brutality is, is clear. You still have this thought that what's going to come of that? And so, you know, the, the issue is, is not re resolved for us because we saw what was apparent with Rodney King mm -hmm. and, you know, the jury acquitted those officers. And now we have George Floyd. Those officers are going to, um, going to go to court. What's going to happen with that case, right? We're still wondering. Right. Um, so that's not resolved. So that's, but it's, but it was something really obvious in everyone's, in the face of the whole world, you couldn't deny the brutality. I think um, for us, it was watching the video and seeing the officer literally apply more pressure as people you know, yelled for him to stop and, you know, he can't breathe. Um, you know, he is excreting bodily fluids from various places. And literally you could see the officer applying more pressure to him. So there was a blatant disregard that we witnessed um, for his life. And then the other officers who were there, 
who really did nothing to intervene or, you know, just try to minimize the likelihood of um, this man dying. And, you know, it just didn't matter. And, you know, even when the paramedics showed up, I mean, mm-hmm. it was clear that he was, he was already gone. Otherwise, right. the paramedics would have handled the situation differently. And it was almost, I, I think it really was a tipping point. You know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to a certain extent, I think we were a little bit desensitized because we do see it so often. But then we watched it and then we find out the reason why it happened. And it really was senseless. And as Rochelle said, we had nowhere else to go and we just kept seeing it and consuming it. And I think it really was just a point where not just the Black community, um, but other communities of people who helped to advocate, you know, for us and with us just said, you know, enough is enough. Right. Um, Would that have happened if we were in our normal situation? I'm not sure that Mm. it would have. Um, But I think it was just so clear that we have people in positions of power who have no regard for our lives, maybe no life, but definitively no regard our lives right right um it it's funny my sons are nine years apart and with each one of them there are a couple of watershed moments that we've gone through together as mom and son um my youngest son specifically i remember the two of us being glued to the television during uh katrina And it almost seemed like we would get up, maybe get some water, go to the bathroom, and then we'd just come back. And it was just, it was the first time I saw him really moved by the situation of others. Um, My older son is actually a Marine vet. So he has a very different perspective um, in terms of police action, police brutality, and even though they're older, they still, both of them have this, I want to call my mother and walk through this. It was almost like we're not in the same house, but we're going to watch it together on the phone because it's one of those moments that we just kind of want to be together and see that play out. What was interesting to me was um, one son was looking at it from the perspective of um, knowing people who had been harassed by police, but really having a hard time wrapping his head around the fact that, um, as Dr. Sharita said, this is malicious intent. This is intentional. This is, I'm not going to stop until I'm finished for whatever reason and whatever finished was to him, um, which we ultimately saw. My older son, again, his perspective is There is training that you get in order to stop people. There is training that you get in order to intercede in a situation. There's training that you get in order to nullify a situation. And for him to see that sort of complete nullification of an individual in America on the street, you can see that was hard for him. It was hard for him to process. Um, But with each of them, It was kind of like, let's look at this, talk about it, kind of go through this. Perspectives were different, but just an in-your-face moment about how America as we know it, um, not that it's new, because we've seen Rodney King, we've seen others, but the blatant display of that, I think, um, for my guys, is something that, to some degree, I think they're still processing particularly since there was so much repeat uh, situations after that. But it just, it, it hammered home that the America that we've known for a while is changing. Yeah, I think, you know, it's been interesting. And I th- wrote down a couple of points here. You know, Dr. Sharita, you mentioned the tipping point. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> you mentioned, Dr. Sharita, about the tipping point and and I think this was the tipping point in my house because because in all honesty, based on, you know, where the kids grew up, 
I think they have just a perspective. You know, all of their friends, most of their friends are white. They definitely have rosy color glasses on. <laughs> so uh, to see this and to hear the conversations that my husband and I have been having, the responses, the reactions. Um, and you know what happened? It really struck them when they when they went to TikTok and they saw that on TikTok, there was this huge outcry and this response about what had happened. And so they couldn't, so, so to me, when young people want to get away, they sort of go to their, you know, their place, mm -hmm. right? Whatever mm -hmm. that is. And mm -hmm. for, for most, it's TikTok, especially for my 14 year old, but he couldn't escape it. And then we started having these conversations about what people were saying. So, so I think that the, that I think you're right for us, Dr. Sharita, that tipping point, it was the tipping point that really created conversation. And I would even say a small movement in my house because I can definitely see a difference in how they respond to their friends. Uh, their perspective is starting to change. And so I'm, it definitely created something uh, more than a movement out in, in the world, but a movement in my home. Mm -hmm. they, they're getting in touch with their blackness, y'all. I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. But, you know, I, I'd love to hear, though, some of those conversations. Um, I know, Rochelle, how old is your son? Is he 13? 17. 17, I'm sorry. So what conversations did you have? Yeah, so... I have a very interesting household. My son and my husband are very much into history. Um, and so they don't typically take an incident as it is in the present, right? Okay. Critical <laughs> nerds, thinking. Right. And so they do all this comparison <laughs> <laughs> to That's American good. history and other countries and their history. And so it becomes almost like an academic exercise while, um, my son went to school, elementary and middle school, mostly with um, the Caucasian community, but his high school is very diverse, mm. right? So um, it's nothing to talk about race in a joking way at school, right? And mm. everyone gets along and there's an equal type of respect there. Um, and so um, I would say in ninth grade, he was kind of thrust into that more diverse world mm -hmm. right. um so he didn't quite have that um uh that moment that you're that you spoke about with your kids malika i think he had that whenever he went into high school initially right okay. where he, he transitioned um but i think what what is what i have impressed on him is that every day matters and the reason why I say every day matters is because you'll notice like with the joy George Floyd and all of these incidents, you know, notice what they do. They go back into their past, right? What small or large thing did you do? Where did you grow up? Right? Who were your friends? Mm -hmm. Right? And so despite the current situation at hand, call it the media, the media will write a narrative and you will be tried in public in the in the court of public opinion, right? And so every day, every decision that you make, it matters, right? Because mm. all of that will be called up again mm -hmm. when you're just trying to, you know, for one, you know, benign situation, your entire past is brought up. Um, and it, it's an unequal playing field. Wow. Yeah, I would think, you know, the, the issue of bringing up your past is not just something that the media does. It's what any good attorney um, for, say, that Officer Chauvin is going to do because, you know, we have a history of criminalizing the victim, whether it's a victim of rape or, or, or police brutality. You want to make the, that person, you're going to try to make George Floyd seem like a villain so that the public and the jury feel like, oh, well, it was, this was the right, you know, the, the appropriate thing to do. Right. But um, I do think that, you know, we had conversations, we've had conversations with our sons, not me, and, and, and they will tell you it was their dad who had those conversations who, where he just, you know, let them know the rules are different for you. And that, you know, and 
And that was something he tried to just um, hammer home for them, that the rules are different because, you know, our sons grew up where your sons are growing up, Malika. And, uh, you know, in the school, they were the minority. My sons were the minority. And they would see things that other kids would do. Um, And my husband would let them know the rules are different for you. And so, but they also fortunately had the balance of their church, which was, which was mixed, but also, but predominantly black. And so they did have a nice balance. Uh, you know, that was a good balance for them to have. But it was that idea of the rules are different. And what I had hoped to drive home for them was the, the fact that it's, this is a, this is a spiritual battle that they're in. So you see a a man with his knee, his, his knee on another man's neck, but that's an issue. That's a spirit of oppression that says, I can do this because I'm better than you because, or or that spirit of arrogance that says, I don't have to answer to anything else but myself. And so we are, the fight is in the spirit. And so that's something else we try to push home to our sons because, you know, Second Chronicles seven fourteen that says, if my people call by my name, you know, and so forth, will humble themselves and pray and, and turn from their wicked ways, seek my face. So we let them know that you're seeing something in the natural, but there's a spiritual battle behind it. And racism is such a powerful weapon of the enemy. It never gets old. And so we teach them that the rules are different for you, um, but also understand where this and many other things are coming from. Let me stop you right there. Not stop you, but I want to kind of break that. The rules are different. When did you have that conversation with your sons? Their dad did, where they he would talk to them about, you know, let's be simple as a hoodie on a dark night, right? Walking down your street. And so whereas someone would see that uh, a person who's Caucasian wearing a hoodie that they paid for, they own, not feel threatened, all of a sudden they want to feel the spirit of fear. And, and I, you know, I, I felt, you know, for my safety, right? We had this. Right, right. George Zimmerman. And so rules are different. And so even where you might be, you know, roughhousing on the corner, Someone, you know, with your Caucasian friends, someone else driving up, an officer, someone else might think that you're the attacker just because this is something that's been ingrained in them. You know, if you think about the media, like like Rochelle had mentioned, and the message they've sent is that the person of color is a person to be feared, feel threatened, lock your doors. You know, they're going to rape your wives and take your daughters and all these other things that have that have just been going, these lies that have been going on for for ever it seems yes and and so when someone looks at you they're not just seeing you they're they're hearing all the things conversations perhaps they had at their dinner tables Mm -hmm. or the things they've seen in the movies Mm -hmm. and so you're battling all that stuff and you know just try not to set yourself up to be in a situation where you know too much happens too fast before anybody can recover and, and take control of the situation so that they're safe that's good. I, I want to ask some of the, the rest of you, when did you have that conversation that the rules were different? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just curious. And, and how have you had that conversation? Maybe I'm assuming you have, but have you had that conversation? When? Because I wanted to stop right there with that. I think that's, that's to me is a hard conversation. When your kids think they're on a level ground. Playing field, yeah. Yeah. They, I think I started talking about it when uh, my son was in elementary school. Mm. Okay. It was pretty early. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Elementary school as well. Yeah. Definitely elementary school. Definitely elementary school. I um, am a child of a different era. So I think I've always known that the playing field was different. There was never a time when I thought maybe it might have been. Um, so my children grew up from a very, very, very early age, knowing that the playing field, um, is different, that once you leave the house, you are considered different. Um, there are qualities and skills and information that we're going to instill in you. But in addition to those things, there's a knowing or a confidence that you have to have when you leave the house because if you're not careful that will get taken away from you um there was a period i think where they felt um 
things are different. And so, mom, you grew up in that time, but it's it, it's it's different now. Um, we're getting along better. Um, mm-hmm. People are perceived for who they are and not the color of their skin. Right. And I have to admit to a little bit of a jaded effect with that because I'm like, yeah, okay, all right. It's a face. That's cute. Okay. Holler it back at me in a little while. It's okay. <laughs> and so, you know, as they got older, then it was like, you know, uh, hmm, really? Did that? And then what did you say? Um, so they've, I've, they've been hearing that since they could hear anything because that's, and a lot of it also has to do with where we live. I mean, they have always lived in, um, they've always lived in Maryland. Um, one son now lives in Washington, DC, and it's just a different, I think the whole vibe is different in terms of who you are and how you interact with other people. And you know, that is such an important, um, it takes skill and wisdom to share that message with your sons while also making sure that you maintain their level of, of, of self-confidence and their understanding their value and who they are. And, and the home becomes so vital in instilling in that person, that child, who you are. You matter because you live in a society that says you don't. That is exactly what I felt when, when George Zimmerman was acquitted. It's like, okay, you are sending this message to that black person, you don't matter. And so you have to make your children wise to the ways of the world, but not um, to an extreme where they feel, well, there's no hope for me, I'm defeated. Because what will you feel like when you feel hopeless? But also to know that regardless of what the world thinks of you, you definitely matter. And then for us, your identity is in Christ. What does he think of you? He thinks you're worth dying for. That's why he did it. And so instilling that. So it's, it's so, it takes wisdom to create that balance because I don't want my sons leaving the house bitter against every person who's not black or every person of color. Cause that's yeah, not going to happen. There have been moments in church, particularly, again, my younger son, who tends to be a little bit more verbal and outgoing than my older son. But there have been moments in church where, in terms of a sermon or even a prayer, um, talking about uniting peoples and, you know, making sure that no matter race, color or skin, we're all God's. And it, I'm in total agreement with that. But sometimes it was funny because I could see my son kind of looking at me like, did you hear that? Um, do you agree? <laughs> do you agree with that? Because you're, you know. Um, but yeah, it's a difficult mix. It's a difficult mix. You're sort of and radical. No matter how old they get, you still got to, you know, different ways, different times. But you have to keep sharing that message. And I think um, it's it's been interesting and how the conversations have changed over the years, right? So that elementary school conversation was typically about behavior in school. You can't be the class clown. <laughs> like you you just, you can't because you know what? You'll end up in special education, <laughs> you know? And you wow. can't, you, you can't be distracted by your little friend. You can't talk too much. Just all of these things that you really can't do. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I get that you're just a child. <laughs> right. Right. And you have this energy, especially being a boy. Um, and while all of these educators and administrators really should get that, too, if your teacher does not look like you, they may not get that. Yeah. Right. Um, and the uh, the biases that they are unaware of and the damage that they can cause to a child's trajectory in life, um, it's so important. So those, you know, those were the conversations that we were having in elementary school. Then when we, you know, shift to junior high and they start to get, you know, a little bit interested in girls and then it's like, um, <laughs> you like who? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you like Kirsty? <laughs> um, well, have you met Kirsty's dad? <laughs> what does Kirsty's dad think about? Right, you? <laughs> right, right. That, now that's real. Are you going to? That's real. You know what? In what area? <laughs> Where yeah. do they live? Right. Um, are their parents going to be home? And and you know, kind of having to help them navigate those relationships beyond what we may have done if they were all relationships with people who 
who looked like them and helping them to understand that, you know, while Kirstie might like you too, Kirstie's family may not really appreciate you. Hey everyone, we are back discussing the experiences that our moms have been having raising black sons in America today in a world where we are becoming face-to-face with racial injustice um, and prejudice and uh, police brutality. And so I want you to just, you know, really lean in on the conversation as we continue with Dr. Sharita Weatherspoon, Alexis Dobbins, Dr. Sarah Jones, and Rochelle Byers Sargent. Here we go. Okay, yes. Now, Dr. Sharita, I want you to repeat that little piece there um, that you just that little nugget of wisdom there at the end that I think all, you know, a lot of our young men should know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you know, Kirstie might like you, (laughs) but um, Kirstie's family may not be as appreciative of you. Right. Um, And just, you know, how do you navigate those relationships and those conversations And even if you find yourself in a situation where it's apparent that you're not welcome, you know, how do you deal with that and how do you get out of that situation? Um, Because unfortunately, it may indeed be an unsafe situation for you. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. then, you know, the conversation shifts in high school now to your driving. And, you know, how do you behave behind the wheel? Or even if you're driving with a friend, and what do you do when the police officer pulls you over? Right. And how do you respond? And you mm-hmm. can't afford to say, I didn't do anything wrong. Or why are you pulling me over? And no, don't reach into your glove compartment. You know, drive with your wallet on the dashboard or, you know, and all of those conversations. And our conversations are interesting because, you know, my husband is in law enforcement. Mm. Um, so we have that kind of added layer to to that and trying to you know kind of balance that idea that not all police officers are bad you know right. and yes, right. your dad is one of the good ones right <laughs> right how does that weigh in down yeah you know some of these situations that we see and he will say what he sees from his training where an officer was wrong And he will also help us clarify, you know, why an officer may have done something that looked wrong to us, but it actually was the right thing to do. But Mm. in a lot of those cases, you know, based on his training and his years of experience in law enforcement, you know, he's seen things that are just like not, you know, the officer messed up. And we talked about the different types of trainings. Alexis talked about that with her son. You know, there's different type type of training that you get. You've got to know when to use one over the other and not just automatically go to lethal or deadly force when it's not called for. Right. And now you have the child who is about to enter the world um, as an adult and on their own and just, now there's different conversations right. around, around that. Right. So the conversations are always occurring and they're changing based on, you know, the the age and the experiences and what, you know, what they've been exposed to and what they haven't been exposed to. As you, as you were talking, I was thinking to myself and just even the conversations we've had with our son, it seems like there's an exchange that has to take place. So going back to you know there's a diff there are different rules for us right us right our black men black people there there are different rules and so you have to you're not the same you won't be treated the same you have to be mindful of this you're not allowed to do that you can't go here you can't respond and it's almost like we have to we have to have that conversation i feel like and we have to kind of empty them out of these expectations and ideas of what they think but then we have to pour into them 
-hmm. Right? We have to pour back into them something other, you know, we kind of took some things away. So I said, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what's real. And it sort of deflates them sometimes. Mm -hmm. But then you have to pour back into those, these young black males because they got to have something to hold on to. So I'm not like Johnny, but what am I? So I can't do this, but like, what can I do? So I want to want to talk a little bit about and and as we're as as you are talking, I want you to be thinking about those moms out there. Pivot is really for women. Uh, that's my audience, and I know there are some men out there who listen. But I'm just want to talk to the moms for a second. What do we need to be saying to our young black men, our sons? What you know, we're telling them what they can't do, what they're not. What should we instill in them and pour in them on a regular basis? One of the things for me, it's, it is, I love you. You are loved. You know, those things, just valuing them because I know that out, out there, they're just getting the message of, you know, you don't matter. I'm sorry to see you. I'd rather, you know, deal with someone else than you and things like that. And so that's one of the things that I'm just trying to pour in um, so that they continue to have that hope um, when they're dealing with the message. I like the that. I like that. I love you. I we're, love we're hugging, we're holding, you know, when we can. Yeah. I think that's, I, my son is very comfortable saying, I love you because I say, I love you a lot to him. And, um, you know, he, gives me like, I call them Frankenstein hugs. I don't know what they are. But... <laughs> yeah. Are they rigid? Are they kind of stern? <laughs> like, you know, he puts his hands on my shoulders and like, up and down. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's okay, mom. Yeah. Whatever that is. Right. Right. But, um, you know, and I, I would just see things uh, in to him that, you know, I want you, your mom wants you mm -hmm. right you are mine right and that sense of belonging was really important to um to um reinforce in his life that you are mine i want you and then, you know i would go black mom on him a couple times oh nobody else wants you but me yes <laughs> 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 yeah just making him very comfortable with love and that I'm, I'm here for you. You know, we are team sergeant that, that, you know, truthfully, I say it to my husband too. We are team sergeant. I am here. We're in this together. You're not alone. Mm, that's good. So I've tried um, to instill in them and communicate with them the power and being able to advocate for themselves mm -hmm. um, and to speak up, but to do so in a way that they can be heard and mm. also um, to be proud, but not so proud that you put yourself in danger. You know, mm. be proud of who you are, but I'd rather you be humiliated and come home alive mm. than, you know, you stand there in your pride and I'm, I'm getting a phone call or a knock mm. on the door. Mm. Um, and then, you know, just the ability to communicate with people and ask for help when they need it. I, you know, I forced my boys to talk. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm not going to let you, you know, just follow that stereotype of, you know, holding things in and, you know, your, your male friends are just, you know, people you hang with, but you can't actually talk about anything serious and, you know, get advice or counsel or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and and that's all about relationship and just recognizing that they don't have to move through the world by themselves. Mm -hmm. And you can always come home. You know, like home is always going to be a safe place for mm -hmm. you. We're never going to turn you away. Now we might have to put you out if you start acting crazy. <laughs> right, right. But we're not going to turn you away <laughs> in the time of need. <laughs> I love that. We might have to put you out. I mean, we'll do so with love. With yes. love. Yes. But I love you, though. Now get out. <laughs> nice. Well, Lika, I just wanted to add I think um, all of everybody has just shared so much wisdom in terms of the filling that we need to do. It really is, I see it though, it's, it can be a balancing act because 
spiritually. We want to make sure that they're filled and fed um, because that gives them really that peace, even in certain situations that may look ugly on the surface, that they'll have that peace that they can keep with them um, that, you know, surpasses understanding. So there's that piece. Um, I'm a history teacher in high school now, and it is still amazing to me the amount of Black history, African-American history, cultural information that many of our young Black men are missing. Mm. And so I think it was one day last week, uh, one of the students said to me, he said, now, are you going to give us this, like, are we going to learn this much stuff every day? And I laughed, but I realized that they maybe need to slow down a little bit. But it's just, there's so, there's just so much that would help them Mm-hmm. If they knew who they really were, mm-hmm. um, if our children knew that black history didn't start with Abraham Lincoln, that just my head starts thumping. OK, they were kings and queens and mm-hmm. wealth and 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 farms and societies long before you came to America. But so many of our black men, so many of our black students don't know that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's important that we build up who they are in terms of their heritage and in terms of their culture. Um, Because sometimes you have to, all you have is what you're carrying inside of you Mm. because the larger society is just going to take, if they, if they can find a way to take it from you, they will. So what I try to remember, and even when, because you know, they can be older and still be a little bit frustrating sometimes, but my role is to, as you said, is to, keep filling up. And the other thing that I've noticed quickly is that there are a lot of, there's a growing number of young men who are experiencing mental health concerns, Mm -hmm. um, who are starting to acknowledge that I need to go for therapy. I need to go to counseling. I need some support with this. And I think that we need to encourage them to do that because the fact that they're admitting it's, it's a struggle. Um, as my oldest son, son said, some days it's just, it's tiring to be young and black and male. Mm-hmm. So it, it, sometimes it's just like you're tired when you get up. Um, and so it's a balancing act, but I think everybody has shared a piece of what we need to just keep pouring and keep an eye for when it looks like it's getting a little bit low and then you got to pour again. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I, I'm echo everything that you all have said and I think it's important it's just really important for moms to stick together to families to stick together and support support our children you know so you know we kind of know we're, we we kind of know everybody's children so, sort of some some there's a connection somewhere you know um but but I want to I do want to say that it's really important that we support one another's children, pray for one another's children. You know, I may not see Rochelle's son uh, face to face and I may not see him for the next five years, but my prayers can sure reach his situation. And I do want to encourage that because I think that's an, that's another important piece um, that I know we do a lot of here. I was thinking about our sons. We used to, when my son was in was in the house. My oldest is now in college. We used to, the four of us would pray every day, except for weekends, Monday through Friday though, we'd get up and it was like, let's pray before we go out, go our separate ways. And now that my oldest is in college, we kind of, kind of got a little lazy a little bit. And it was like, wait a second, we need to get back to what we need to do because it kind of starts out for us. It's a, it's a great way to start whatever we, wherever we go on from this day, whatever comes our way, we've kind of set some groundwork. So um, it's just so key for us and, and everything else that you've said. I know that we are, we're kind of getting to a place where I'd like to do one more thing before we go and Rochelle, you brought this up, and I think it's important prior to us starting the the, the show. You talked a little bit about your daughter. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important that we recognize that even though <clears throat> a lot of our black males are being killed mm-hmm. senselessly, right, 
our, our some of our black daughters, black and brown daughters are experiencing the same kind of either senseless killing, abuse, um, you name it, disrespect. Um, and so I want to, I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but I do want to share, uh, I want Rochelle to kind of share your story and just conversations. And then what are some things we might be doing for our black girls and pouring yeah. into them as well. So Rochelle, why don't you um, share? Yeah, so um, like uh, Dr. Jones and Dr. Um, Weatherspoon, my husband is also in law enforcement <laughs> and he was joking around one morning and pounded on my daughter's door. She's 13 and said, it's the police. I have a warrant for your arrest. Just joking with her. Mm. And um, later on in the day, she told me that she almost like dropped to the ground and just started crying. Wow. And what I did not realize, my husband was just joking with her, not even thinking about it, but they're watching this, these images as well, mm -hmm. right? And I don't even think the girls see it as a boy versus a girl thing. It's, it's terrorizing to right. them. It's traumatizing to them. And it was my a reckoning for me that okay I need to like nurse my daughter in in understanding and and um you know how to comply if you ever have a run-in with law enforcement I need to spend equally as much time with her because I had not realized how terrorized she was just by watching footage mm -hmm. and I don't know if you all saw that recent video where there the police thought there was a stolen car. It was a family, you know, two women and their children and these yes. young girls yes. are on the ground just yeah. crying. You know, our daughters are seeing that too, yes. you know, and it's just equally traumatic. And I, I don't, I want to echo something that Alexa said that I think is really important that in addition to the spiritual, you know, sometimes our kids need therapy as well. And they need to talk it through and talk yeah. it out. And it's okay. I know from a black perspective, black family perspective, you know, many of us were raised, if you got Jesus, that's all you need now. You just go on. You're not praying hard enough. <laughs> right. Sometimes you do. I'm a strong advocate for therapy yes, as well, I just agree. to get it out, mm -hmm. just to get it out and get, cause you know, that stuff can get bottled up. Um, and so, you know, use all the tools to support all of your children. I love that. I, I want to give Dr. Sharita an opportunity to share the wonderful work that she's doing for girls um, and, and just pouring into women, uh, black and brown women. And I believe that it just is a nice tie-in as we're talking about our black men. We don't want to forget about our, our black girls. And so, Dr. Sharita, why don't you share a little bit about your, your project? Um, yeah, so first I'll start off by saying that the same conversations I've had with my sons, I've had with my daughter, mm -hmm. and she got them first <laughs> because she's she's the oldest. Um, and actually, from you know having her and watching her grow up a number of years ago, I decided that I wanted to share from my experience with her um, about you know how I navigated through this world as a black woman, and you know share lessons with her. Um, share from my experience words of wisdom in hopes that I would help make her way um, easier mm -hmm. than mine was and that, you know, perhaps she wouldn't have to fight and struggle as hard as I did. Um, and I, I never got to, to do that in the way that I wanted to do it. Um, but just last year got what I call a divine download for a greater vision, which was to bring um, 100 Black women together to actually write this book that I had the idea for, for my daughter and to share it beyond my daughter, but for other black women and girls. Um, and it was specifically black women and girls, not just girls, because I recognize as a black woman who is still going through some of her, some of her own healing that our adult women still need to be inspired and uplifted and motivated and empowered through their own journeys. Um, so I put out a call to my sisters, those who I knew and did not know, mm -hmm. and ended up with over 100 um, Black women and girls that range in age from preteen 
um, to, I believe, 80 years old um, is the age range for our authors. And they are, they are a diverse group of Black women, different religious beliefs, um, different locations across the U.S. and outside of the U.S., different family status, different socioeconomic status, um, whatever you can think of, those differences are there who just, you know, heeded the call and came together to share from their own experiences um, to help their sisters. And um, the we're actually in the pre-order phase for the book now, Love Letters to My Girls, 100 Plus Black Women Speak to the Hearts of Black Women and Girls. And the book officially launches in um, in November. And actually, Dr. Malika Turner and Rochelle Byer Sargent are both <laughs> authors in that, in that project. Um, so we're very excited about the impact that this project is going to have. It's more than a book. Um, we're doing scholarships. We are also doing fundraising so that we can donate copies of the book to organizations and groups that serve Black women and girls. And we're really just trying to, you know, incite a revolution of sisterhood um, and also just help our sisters to remember how valuable and powerful and brilliant and beautiful they are, regardless of the world, what the world might try to tell them. <laughs> right. And then we are, um, actually, I don't think you know this yet, but we're actually launching um, this week our call for authors for the um, the brother book <laughs> to that, which is Let Us Make a Man. So we are looking for yes. um, 100 Black men to come together. To They're not writing love letters, though. <laughs> <laughs> they're, com they're coming together to share from their experiences um, as Black men navigating this world um, to do the same thing, inspire, uplift, motivate, and empower, you know, our brothers, um, you know, to be who they were created to be and to stand strong in the power of their Black manhood and recognize how much we need them um, and how much they have to offer the world as well. I love that. No, you snuck that in. You snuck that right on in there, didn't you? Okay. All right. Talk to you later. That is fantastic. Um, I want to, and, and I know I want to go around, I want to make sure that I give everyone an opportunity to share the great work they're doing. Alexis, I know that you have a few different initiatives. And so is there anything that you want to share that you're doing? Um, I call them your passion. It's the things that, you, that come from the heart that you want to share as well. Did she freeze? I think she froze. Oh, okay. Uh-oh. Okay. There she is. Okay. Did you hear what I said? Alexis? Yes. No. Oh. Oh. It froze. Whether I was frozen or you guys were frozen. Yes. I just wanted to give you an opportunity if there are any, you know, I know you have a few different initiatives that you wanted to share. Is there anything that you're doing for... I don't know, our, our young people, our young black males and, you know, our women and men just want to give anyone an opportunity to share what they're doing outside of um, what they normally do or, or any, uh, just anything before we go. Well, I'm continuing to work with, I have a organization called Kids Need Too, where I work with um moms and dads who are not married, whether they were never married, used to be married, um, or are divorced or separated, whatever the status is. But really the point is to encourage and coach them through um, to a relationship that is positive in terms of co-parenting, regardless of how they feel about each other. Um, as a mom of two sons, divorced somewhere in the middle of that and realizing the impact that that divorce had on my sons um i definitely understand the need for positive co-parenting for positive conversation and for forgiveness um we are coming off of our summer season we do an annual event called best dad ever um where we actually people nominate dads and we give awards and prizes to support uh, black fathers who Beverly talked much about, but are really an, an int 
intricate part of this um, overall picture. So we're coming off of that for the summer. And because of distance learning, um, I kind of segued into um, another program that's called um, Hello, I'm a Parent. And in Hello, I'm a Parent, working with moms and dads primarily of color around this whole idea of distance learning and how whether they are um, living in the same home, whether they are what we call multi-home parents, but just providing strategies and support around um, helping our black children navigate through this distance learning process and making sure that there's no loss of learning or any educational gaps are not increased while we're in the middle of the year we probably will never forget, which is 2020. Nice. Mm. Rochelle and Dr. Jones, is there anything else you wanted to share? Anything that you are doing? Any new projects? Well, not new, still being the wife of Pastor Tony. <laughs> and uh, that's been amazing for the students on the Penn State Harrisburg campus. But you know, COVID has changed that because you know how everything shut down. And so right. we went online, like we're on Facebook and, and other social media platforms, YouTube, podcasts, and so forth, um, Instagram. And so the the viewership has enlarged. And so I'm like, God, what's what's your project? What do you have going right. on? Because he is totally taking the church out of the four walls and trying to be a part of that. And then, you know, you, Dr. Turner and Dr. Weatherspoon, you've helped me when I talk to you about my project of writing the book called In the Waiting Room. Mm. It's still going on. Good. And I originally thought it was going to be um, just a book written by caregivers for caregivers who are supporting that patient that person going through because when you're with a loved one who's going through an illness it's all about them as it should be but there is a life in the caregiver and so mm -hmm. I am writing that book and I wanted to expand it this is all God inspired to um, expand it to like a documentary and so I am recording as oh, well wow. um, my interviews and that's that makes the process a whole lot longer, but it's going to be okay because what he's got started, he's going to finish. Good. So I started some interviews, continuing on, and and you know life is busy with schoolwork and so forth. Going with it as the opportunity um, presents itself, and so I'm really excited about that because I'm not a huge project person. My project is raising my three children, hallelujah, and you know, being a wife and maintaining a career and so forth, and, and so I'm excited about it. Great. So that's what I'm doing. And who knows who there are other things out there I know that have my name on them. That's right. Stay tuned. Very yeah. nice. I feel the same way. I feel like I had been in quite the whirlwind um over the past ten years and then and am just coming out to pursue what I want to pursue. Good. And so um as small as it was, um uh being being a contributing author to Dr. Sharita's book was really a step out of the everyday norm of just being a wife, having a career, and parenting children, you mm -hmm. know, and um, really having an opportunity to say, you know, your kids don't need you as much anymore, right? Mm -hmm. There's more here. Right. What else can you do, right? And, mm -hmm. um, and I think this year 2020 has really impressed this on me because you know I've often thought um you know everyone's blogging everyone's doing this everyone's doing that but you know it really took this the past four years where um it really became evident to mm -hmm. me that there are a lot of lost people mm -hmm. and just you know very interesting wow that you need a lot of people out there speaking truth Right. right. And so, um, so we'll see. We'll see what comes out. I have a few projects, but we'll see. All right. Very good. Look at these power women. And I'm in the midst of some power up in here. Resources. God is good all the time. And I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited about what he's doing. So I want to thank all of you for being here, all of my guests for being on season two of the Pivot Podcast. We are, there's just so much we've got in store for you this season. And so I want to thank Rochelle, Dr. Sharita, Alexis, and Dr. Sarah Jones for being here with us and sharing with us 
their uh, their story, the tips, wisdom, um, how they are helping their young black sons um, pivot during this time uh, that we're in. So I, I'm looking forward to to our next time and please look for their projects. You can find them on Facebook, some of the great things that, do, that they are doing. We will probably have Dr. Sharita Weatherspoon back when that book is done. Yes. <laughs> and we, <laughs> yes, and so we're gonna do some things as far as, we wanna just continue to talk about pivoting and how we are pivoting as women, uh, how the world is pivoting and how we're responding to that. But I wanna thank all of you for tuning in, Pivot Family. I pray that you have a fan, fantastic day and stay tuned next week. We've got some great things in store for this season once again. Thank you and have a wonderful day.